We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 497 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, January 31st, 2023, the 35th anniversary of the Redskins' second Super Bowl title. Boy, we've had a lot of Skins anniversaries lately, haven't we? Uh, Monday was the 40th anniversary of the Skins' first Super Bowl title, Super Bowl 17. Now we have the 35th anniversary of the Skins' second Super Bowl title, Super Bowl XXII. January 31st, 1988, the Skins beat the Denver Broncos 42-10 at Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego, California. The Skins lost the first quarter 10-0. The Skins then won the second quarter 35-0. What is the single greatest quarter of football in Skins history and maybe NFL history. Hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode each weekday, Monday through Friday, with each episode out oh so early each weekday morning. That second quarter offensive eruption by the Skins 35 years ago today was what you call elite level NFL offense. It has been a while since our football team uh, was at an elite level offensively. Hey, maybe the commander's next offensive coordinator will get the team back to having an elite level offense. It was on Sunday morning that Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy via multiple reports, was revealed as an offensive coordinator target for our commanders, maybe even their number one target. And so coming up on the show is a special guest to talk Eric Bieniemy, NFL insider Arif Hassan of Pro Football Network. Uh, Arif earlier this month wrote an extensive piece on Eric Bieniemy, specifically why he still has not been hired as an NFL head coach. Uh, This was a sober, objective, clear-minded examination of the enemy. Uh, And so coming up on the show, the truth about Eric the enemy. His controversial past, his true duties with the Chiefs, given 
that head coach Andy Reid is the Chiefs offensive play caller, uh, how the enemy is viewed around the NFL, whether the commanders would be a good fit for the enemy, a thorough and informative deep dive on the man who just may be the commander's top offensive coordinator target, Eric Bieniemy is coming up with NFL insider Arif Hassan of Pro Football Network. And Arif, by the way, is excellent. This was my first time talking to him. He was great. Uh, also on the show, next segment, in fact, uh, we now know what the NFL salary cap for the 2023-2024 league year will be. It is a record-setting salary cap. I have some thoughts on that in relation to the commanders. I have a proper salute to the Wizards for you. Yes, I said the Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, thank you, Stephen A. Smith. The Wizards on Monday night did something that they had not done since December 11th, 1999, win a regular season game At the San Antonio Spurs, the Wizards snapped a 22-game regular season losing streak at the Spurs. The Wiz won their season-best sixth consecutive game, a 127-106 blowout win at the Spurs, who, yes, are no longer a very good team, but still, the Wizards won at the Spurs on Monday night, and the Wiz actually are playing quite well right now. Uh, Speaking of playing quite well right now. Virginia basketball, another win for Wahoo Wah. The Cavaliers, who were number six in the latest Associated Press Top 25 poll, which came out on Monday, uh, won their seventh consecutive game, a 67-62 win at Syracuse on Monday night. I'll talk UVA coming up later in the show. And I have some thoughts on the Nationals for you as a pitcher who had been with the Nats for years now is officially gone. You can tweet me at Al Galdi, you can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I received a lot of tweets regarding Monday being the 40th anniversary of the Redskins' first Super Bowl title, Super Bowl 17. I had the Skins starting quarterback in that game. Skins all-time great Joe Theismann on Monday's show, episode 496. Uh, Joe was terrific. And I very early Monday morning tweeted out the video of the Rigo run, uh, running back John Riggins, fourth quarter, fourth and one, 43-yard, I-formation handoff touchdown run in Super Bowl 17, the greatest play in Skins history. Uh, tweet from DullisDistrict.com regarding the Rigo run. The moment I decided if we had a boy, I'd name him 70 Chip. Fortunately for all involved, we had a daughter. Uh, tweet from R. Matthews, literally tearing up watching this. A tweet from Derek McGinty still gives me goosebumps. Tweet from First Round Mock, who says that he's a former scout for the New York Jets. I will never forget it while growing up in Minnesota. I was eight years old watching on my parents' old RCA TV in my pajamas with a little red t-shirt on with a yellow 44 screen printed on both sides and the name Riggins on the back. Tweet from Uncle Ken, my dad was like my age watching this, 
and I got effing Carson Wentz. <laughs> uh, I hear you, Uncle Ken. Uh, email from Dr. Matthew Mintz, one of the many high-level people in the medical profession who listen to this podcast. You know, it now is certified to get into medical school. You can either pass the MCAT or you can listen to this podcast. Uh, anyway, writes Dr. Mintz about this podcast and also about Commander's Interior Defensive Lineman Duran Payne. Hope you are well. If my math is correct, episode 500 of the podcast will occur this Friday. Uh, that is correct, continues Dr. Mintz. As a huge fan of you and the show, I wanted to send my sincerest congratulations. With today's technology, literally anyone can start a podcast. Uh, yes, I am I am proof of that, <laughs> continues Dr. Mintz. However, to have a consistently top-ranked podcast nationally that has been sustained for 500 episodes is quite an incredible accomplishment. I look forward to listening to the pod on my commute to the office every day. I appreciate your insightful analysis and following sports, so I don't have to <laughs> keep up the good work and look forward to the next 500. Well, thank you very much for that, continues Dr. Mintz. Secondly, I want to bring up a potential topic that I think needs discussing Duran Payne. Based on his locker room cleanout comments, Duran wants to be paid. To me, this means that he wants to be a free agent. Not that he wouldn't be happy with a ridiculous offer from the commanders, but I don't think that he is wedded to staying. Don't forget about the dreadful sideline dust-up in 2021 in Dallas. Uh, he had an amazing 2022 season, and I would love for the commanders to re-sign him. However, I believe he wants the market to set his price and is unlikely to accept whatever the commanders offer. This means the commanders will have to tag him, and we have been down that road before, and it does not go well. If the commanders are unable to sign Duran to a long-term deal, I think they should tag him and trade him. While I am pleased with what we have for some of our skill positions, we need an extensive upgrade along the offensive line, and Sam Howell can't be the only option at quarterback. If the commanders choose to go with Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson, discussed on episode 495 that we aren't getting a first-round offensive lineman, getting assets from tagging and trading pain would be a huge help right now. While duplicating his 2022 season in 2023 would be great, losing Duran Payne to free agency the following year would be a wasted opportunity, especially with Fedarian Mathis on the current roster. What say you? Uh, great topic, and I agree with what Dr. Min said wholeheartedly. You know, when it comes to a premium asset like a Duran Payne, you as the team need to go with one of two extremes sign the player to a multi-year contract, or trade the player. It's one extreme or the other. You lock them up or you send them packing. What you should never do, <laughs> and yet what Washington did do with not one, but two other guys in similar situations, right? Quarterback Kirk Cousins and right guard Brandon Sheriff, was do neither extreme. Uh, Washington tagged each guy and then lost each guy via unrestricted free agency uh, getting back a third-round compensatory draft pick for Kirk Cousins and uh, now being set to get back a third-round comp pick for Brandon Sheriff. Let's see if 
the third time ends up being the charm. Uh, Washington displayed horrendous asset management with how the team handled the Kirk Cousins and Brandon Sheriff situations. Let's see if our team can get this right in try number three uh, in this Duran Payne scenario. Now, look, I do expect the commanders to uh, slap Duran with a franchise or transition tag. I don't think that he's going to agree to a multi-year contract to re-sign with the commanders prior to the start of free agency. What Dr. Min said is right. Duran wants to get paid. His comments on locker room cleanout day on January 9th were very telling. I talked about him on episode 482 of the podcast. Uh, Duran wants to get paid. His free agency is mostly, if not entirely, about money. And by the way, that's fine, okay? I'm not mad at Duran for that. Uh, but if you are the commanders, you this offseason need to either figure out a way to get Duran to sign a multi-year contract, i.e. make him an offer that he can't refuse, or the commanders need to tag him and trade him. Uh, I do expect a tag to come either way. And what's interesting is this, the non-exclusive franchise tag for an interior defensive lineman this offseason is $18.937 million. Usually, franchise tag numbers are sky high. $18.937 million for Duran for the 2023 season actually may not be sky high, considering the expectation that the market for interior defensive linemen uh, may well be about to blow up. So having Duran under the terms of a one-year non-exclusive franchise tag tender of $18.937 million might actually compel him to want to sign a multi-year contract with the commanders this offseason because an 18.937 non-exclusive franchise tag tender might actually be below market value for Duran and thus might actually serve as what the tag is supposed to serve as a placeholder for further negotiations for a longer-term contract. Uh, This was not the case with either Kirk Cousins or Brandon Sheriff because their franchise tag salaries were so high with Duran, things could be different. Uh, Quality interior defensive linemen who are set to be unrestricted free agents this offseason include the Philadelphia Eagles, Javon Hargrave, and the Minnesota Vikings, Dalvin Tomlinson, and a high-level interior defensive lineman who's set to be an unrestricted free agent next offseason is the Kansas City Chiefs' Chris Jones. Well, Deron Payne this offseason is going to get paid of that, there is no question. And so he probably is going to need to be organizing where his money's going. And so Duran should download the Hiatus app. Hiatus, it is a personal financial management app that allows you to take full control of your money. Hiatus creates a comprehensive view of your bills, your utilities, and your subscriptions. Uh, Hiatus monitors trends, watches for increases in your bills, and alerts you if any rate changes are coming. Uh, Also, you with Hiatus can gain access to hands-on money experts who can negotiate your bills down and provide you with financial advice. And you with Hiatus can create custom budgets. Hiatus is great. Do yourself a favor. Download the Hiatus app. You can do so right now from the App Store, from Google Play, or by going to hiatus.app. Uh, there's no cost to downloading the app. Download it and see what it can do for you. Again, download the Hiatus app from the App Store, from Google Play, or by going to hiatus.app. Hiatus, money saving made easy.
Uh, before we get to our guest, NFL insider Arif Hassan of Pro Football Network talking about Commander's Offensive Coordinator Target and Kansas City Chiefs Offensive Coordinator Eric Bieniemy. Uh, we do now know what the NFL salary cap for the 2023-2024 league year will be. We on Monday afternoon had multiple reports that the NFL salary cap for the incoming league year will be a record $224.8 million up from $208.2 million for the 2022-2023 league year. With the exception of the cap going down for the 2021-2022 league year uh, off the COVID season, the NFL salary cap has gone up by at least $10 million every league year since the end of of the 2013-2014 league year. So starting with the 2014 season, the cap has gone up by at least $10 million every year, with the exception of for the 2021 season, and that was due to COVID. For years, I have had a saying regarding NFL contracts and also MLB contracts, and that saying is, today's overpay is tomorrow's bargain. And the reason that I say that regarding the NFL is because of this reality of the rising cap. The salary cap is constantly going up and by a lot. And so what seems like a hefty price today actually won't be in a year or two. The cap is based on league revenues. Well, league revenues continue to skyrocket, uh, thanks largely to the league's national television deals. And so the NFL salary cap for the 2023 season will be a record $224.8 million. If you're wondering about the commanders, uh, they right now for the 2023-2024 league year per overthecap.com have the 14th most effective cap space in the NFL. But once the commanders cut quarterback Carson Wentz, uh, that effective cap space is going to increase by quite a bit. So the commanders this offseason are going to have some cap room with which to play. Now, what that'll mean, given the team's ownership uncertainty, who the heck knows, but the commanders are not handcuffed by their cap situation. So things like re-signing interior defensive lineman Deron Payne and signing edge defender Montez Sweat and safety Cameron Curl to contract extensions. I mean, these are things that the commanders should be able to do from a cap perspective. Uh, And then there's this, Sam Howell. Uh, If he ends up being the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season, and that, of course, is an if, but if Sam ends up being the commander's starting quarterback for the 2023 season, it will be comical how little cap space the team's starting quarterback will be consuming. Uh, Sam's salary cap hit for the 2023 season, what is the second season of his four-year rookie contract as a fifth-round pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, is a microscopic $960,400. $960,400 out of a $224.8 million salary cap, to say nothing, by the way, of cap space that the commanders may be carrying over from this season. Because remember, you can carry over cap space. But $960,400 out of a $224.8 million salary cap 
works out to, you ready for this? 0.42% of the cap. That would be the cap hit for the Commanders QB1 for the 2023 season if that QB1 is Sam Howell. And again, I'm not even factoring in any carryover cap space. Uh, That, my friends, could be a beautiful thing. This episode of the Al Galdi podcast is for Tuesday, January 31st, 2023, uh, three weeks to the day of the commanders firing offensive coordinator Scott Turner. Uh, Head coach Rod Rivera fired Scott on Tuesday, January 10th, uh, but the commanders still do not have Scott's replacement. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I actually like that the commanders are taking their time with this offensive coordinator search and are talking to a lot of candidates, but could it be that the biggest reason that the commander still have not hired a replacement for Scott is that the guy who the team truly wants isn't available yet? We on Sunday morning had multiple reports that Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy is in play for the commanders. Uh, the news was broken by NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com. He early on Sunday morning tweeted, quote, the commanders have yet to hire an OC, and one reason why they've requested permission to interview Chiefs OC Eric Bieniemy, and he's emerged as a potential key candidate. Sources say he also was requested by the Jets, Titans, and Ravens for OC jobs, end quote. It's also worth noting that Biennemi has interviewed for the Indianapolis Colts head coaching job, which still is open. Uh, this season is Eric Biennemi's 10th season as a Chiefs offensive assistant, uh, also is his fifth season as their offensive coordinator, and yet he still has not been hired as an NFL head coach, uh, despite the Chiefs' great offensive success for years now. Uh, Biennemi does not call offensive plays for the Chiefs. Their head coach, Andy Reid, does the offensive play calling. Uh, Biennemi's contract with the Chiefs reportedly ends with this season. Uh, he last offseason reportedly re-signed with the Chiefs via just a one-year contract. What is the truth about Eric Biennemi? Why hasn't he been hired as a head coach? And might him leaving the comfort of the Chiefs for an offensive coordinator job with another NFL team, like, say, the Commanders, uh, in fact, be what is best for him in his quest to become an NFL head coach? I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast right now, NFL insider Arif Hassan of Pro Football Network. Uh, Arif, earlier this month, wrote a really detailed piece on Eric Bieniemy. Headline, Eric Bieniemy. NFL coaching profile, a murky past could hide a bright future. Uh, Arif is very good at talking X's and O's and analytics. He used to cover the Minnesota Vikings for the Athletic, and you can follow him on Twitter at Arif Hassan NFL. Hey, Arif, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Let's start with this. You talk to a lot of people. How is Eric Bieniemy viewed around the NFL? Uh, I think a lot of people quite like him a lot, honestly. I think that, you know, in coaching circles that he's fairly well regarded, I think that they think of him as a bright person. But when you expand beyond coaching circles into things like front office circles, ownership circles, the question about whether or not hiring him makes sense is difficult because of, like you mentioned in the title of my article, the murky past. It's a it's a risk in terms of, of, of the moves that you have to make. And there is 
unease about, you know, hiring somebody who isn't a play caller and stuff like that. And so um, even though that's, you know, worked out in the past for a number of coordinators, I mean, Doug Peterson, for example, famously didn't call plays. Um, even though in Kevin O'Connell, who was a coach of the year candidate for the Minnesota Vikings, same thing. Um Having all of the issues, both with him as a player, which I think is probably less important at this point, and with him as a coach in previous stints, um, I'm saying issues like he did something egregious. He didn't, but uh, I just want to make it clear. Uh, but you know, he he was uh, a member of uh, he was a member of a coaching staff of a number of programs that had gotten a little bit out of hand, right? And so that kind of risk is difficult to take on when you've got another coaching candidate which may not have you know, that in their past, right? And so it's less about who he is as a person, right? Because people who interact with him think that, um, you know, he's a good coach, think that he's a good person, and more about, you know, an investment decision that an ownership would have to make. And I think that that is what's inhibiting his search a lot. Regarding Eric Bieniemy's past, he does have a number of legal incidents in his past, but the incidents happened a long time ago. They happened from 1988 to 2001. There's also a scandal at Colorado for things that went down during his time as the school's running backs coach, 2001 and 2002, although it's not like he was directly responsible for those things. There's a lot to take in. How valid is the enemy's troubled past as a reason for him having not gotten a head coaching job in the NFL? Uh, I, I think that uh, there's less concern about him as a person. I mean, it, when you get to the coordinator position, there's a little bit more scrutiny, but not nearly as much uh, as with uh, head coach. Um, for example, Jim Bob Cooter was just hired by the Jacksonville Jaguars to be their passing game coordinator. Um, he and, and he's just been involved in, and I think, a coaching circle um you know, he, some people are interested in him as an offense coordinator. He has a murky past, one that I think is actually a little bit more alarming than Eric Bieniemy's, right, in terms of the legal issues that that, that he faced, right? Um, and that came up when the Lions hired him to be an offensive coordinator. I mean, this is not something that, that's been hidden. But, you know, those legal issues, largely from when he was a player, and almost all of it when he was a college player, there was one incident uh, when he was still an NFL player, I think, in the second year of his career, Um those, you know, could play a role and certainly are something that, you know, anybody hoping to hire him would want to have a frank discussion with him about. But honestly, I think that, you know, given kind of the, the histories of a lot of coaches in the league, the histories that they had 20 years ago are, are primarily not going to play an enormous role. Um, and they're they're primarily like moving violation type stuff. So they're like, you know, he got parked illegally. Um, there is an incident where um where he put his hands on somebody, but it wasn't it wasn't considered an assault. Uh, it's it's difficult to get into, right? Because you've got multiple witness statements and stuff like that. But even the even the alleged victim didn't call it an assault. It was just kind of an act of intimidation. Again, when he was a player, but that's the only time he ever was close to ever putting his hands on somebody. Most of it's like yeah, he he drove without a license. He lost his license because of a Dewey, which is not an excusable behavior. But you know, you just take a look at the Cardinals front office uh, and know that. You can, you know, have people in important positions that have this, you know, in their past, right? Very recent past. It's it, That's not, you know, disqualifying for a lot of teams. Um, it, it's, you know, can you move forward? Can you help yourself? Can you help the team? And I think that he has demonstrated that. Again, he hasn't had an incident in over 20 years personally as, as, as a person. Um, 
So, uh, and, and he, and, and that incident I'm talking about where he put his hands on somebody, um, he was not the primary concern in that case. Something uh, happened later after he had left uh, the, the cohort of people he'd been hanging out with that was more alarming. And so it was kind of an incidental report for him. But um, it, he, he didn't hurt anybody. You know, he was, uh, I, I would still argue, maybe not a kid is, is the wrong way to put it, um, but he was still in college. Um, and and the person that he is now is, is almost certainly not that person. And just looking at the way um, other coaches have, you know, moved into the league and have, have gotten coaching positions, to me, that is unlikely to be a significant barrier. And so other apparent barriers, maybe the biggest barriers to Eric Bieniemy becoming an NFL head coach, are that he doesn't call offensive plays for the Chiefs. Uh, Andy Reid does. And uh, there's the reality that the Chiefs starting quarterback for all five of Bieniemy's seasons as the team's offensive coordinator has been the great Patrick Mahomes. To what extent uh, does Bieniemy deserve credit for the Chiefs' amazing offensive success in recent seasons? Uh, it's It's... That particular question makes it tough because it's difficult to get away from Patrick Mahomes and his talent. Um, How involved is he? He's very involved, right? Um, The... Like if you take a look, for example, D'Amico Ryan's was a head coaching candidate for a little while. He turned down an interview with the Carolina Panthers, um, and uh, the Browns wanted him to be their defensive coordinator. Uh, he's the linebackers coach for the New England Patriots. They don't have an official defensive coordinator, and he was offered a co-defensive coordinator role with the Patriots last year. He turned it down so that he could, you know, potentially leverage himself as a head coach or defensive coordinator somewhere else. He did not call plays, but he was extraordinarily involved with the way that that defense was run. A lot of people credited him with the Patriots' defensive success over the past couple of years, more than Steve Belichick, the guy who called plays. And we see, you know, Matt Nagy got hired by the Chicago Bears as a non-play caller from the Chiefs. We saw Doug Peterson, like I mentioned already, as a non-play caller. Kevin O'Connell for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, those, uh, Those people are generally regarded as quite involved with the way that that offense you know, works out. You know, if you think of uh, an offensive play caller as somebody ordering off of a menu, you don't tend to compliment the person who ordered off the menu for the food that arrives, right? You tend to compliment the person who either, you know, produces the food, which might be the players, right? Or who puts together the menu, which would be the people in charge of the game planning from throughout the week. And Eric enemy is involved in putting together that menu. You know, he is the guy that designs that menu. Uh, and, uh, I, I would say that having that in place for Andy Reid to be able to call plays, and obviously Reid is involved in game planning, otherwise he wouldn't know which plays to call. But, you know, having that in place and seeing the Chiefs' offensive success, I think is huge. I think it's really big. And I think that this year in particular, where Mahomes has had, I think, more success ever since, uh, d- besides this 2018 season when he first started out, statistically, this is like his best year, right? And I think that that says something when, people were ready to credit Matt Nagy or ready to credit Doug Peterson for their roles in that offense, which I think would have been fair then too. Um, he's really involved in, you know, the breakdowns of opposing defenses, the design of the offense, kind of what needs to happen from week to week to make that offense successful. So um, I think that he's very involved in, in some of the kind of the brilliance that we see from the chiefs, especially from a play calling perspective. You know, we, we think of the chiefs as this, you know, remarkable out of structure improvisational team. And they are, there's no question about that, that the best improvisational team in the NFL. They're also the best in structure offense in the NFL. If you only take a look at every play from every offense that happens within structure, the chiefs are number one in the league um, by actually 
quite a distance in expected points per play. So um, I, he's very involved with the design of that offense. And I think you take a look, you know, Tyreek Hill's gone. Um, they bring in, uh, you know, a plethora of, you know, second, third, fourth tier receivers to kind of help replace his production. And Eric Bieniemy understood one thing. He knew that if the offensive line got better, you could replace Tyreek Hill's production with those receivers. And that's exactly what happened. This is Mahomes' best statistical year since 2018, despite not having Tyreek Hill and despite not having those great receivers, because he knew that if you bring in those offensive linemen, Mahomes holds on to the ball longer than any other quarter or any other year that he's held on before. And that's because the offensive line allows him to do that. And he knows that if he holds on to the ball just a tick longer, those guys, the Marquez Veldes-Cantlings, the Justin Watsons, the Gadarius Tonys, they'll get open if you give them half a second longer. That's exactly what happened. And the enemy designed this offense around that understanding. So I think that that's a huge credit to him. We're discussing Commander's Offensive Coordinator Target and Chiefs Offensive Coordinator Eric Bieniemy with NFL Insider Arif Hassan of Pro Football Network, for which he wrote a really good piece on Bieniemy earlier this month. So let's tie this to the Commanders. Uh, they need an offensive coordinator. They reportedly are very interested in Bieniemy, uh, for whom there figures to be significant competition if him leaving the Chiefs is in fact very much a possibility. Uh, what do you think about the Commanders as a fit for Bieniemy? And do you think that Bieniemy leaving the Chiefs is what he probably needs to do in order to get a head coaching job in the NFL? Um, I mean, it really depends on his assessment of the commander situation, right? Um, I, I think that in a vacuum, leaving the Chiefs for another team without knowing what the team is in order to call plays uh, probably would help his case to be a head coach, right? I think that that would be a good thing. If the commanders have some plan in place to get a quarterback, I, there is so much to work with there, at least on the field, right? I mean, you've got Terry McLaurin, you've got Jahan Dotson, you've got, you know, a, a reasonable, not as good as it had been in the past, but a reasonable offensive line to work with and some exciting talent at running back to work with, right? Um, you've got all of this um, and you've got a defense that is is fr frankly, it's underrated. It's a great defensive line. It does a really good job at the back end. Um you, you've got a lot to work with that's going to make your life as an offensive coordinator easier, but it's not going to matter without a quarterback. So if he knows that there's a plan to get a quarterback, I think that he'll be in a pretty good spot that way. Um, I, I think that the other thing here is the commanders have a lot of cash. They're, they're one of the most cash-rich teams in the NFL. And, uh, you know, coach salaries are uncapped. Uh, so I, I think that that would probably go some way into kind of assuaging concerns a little bit there. Um, but the only thing that would hold me back, aside from that quarterback question, are the questions about the commander's team culture, right? You know, those questions have been, you know, persistent over the past uh, couple of years, especially the past couple of years, but maybe throughout the run of the Snyder era. Um, and also kind of job security in general. You know, if, if there is some answer about what's going to happen with ownership, which I guess is the third thing uh, there, then maybe that's not a huge concern. But Snyder is known to be a mercurial owner who is very involved. He likes to intervene. He likes to, to you know, tell his coordinators and his head coaches exactly what he wants the offense, the defense to do. Uh, and he threatens to fire them if they don't. Right. That's that's pretty well known. And, and that is a, a difficult environment to, to work in and to grow in and to, you know, learn kind of who you are at your own pace, which is like a, always a critical part of a head coaching journey. Um, and so that's a concern. 
the concern about whether or not the team is going to continue to have Dan Snyder ownership. Um, I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. I think ownership uh, power struggles are generally negative. Maybe not this one. I don't know. But like if if a new co- like, you know, David Tepper came in and took over Jerry Richardson, got rid of everybody. Right. Like you don't know if the new, if a new owner comes in and wants to clean house. So that's another job security concern. But I think that on the field, if the commanders can say, hey, I know who we're going to get a quarterback. You're going to like it. I, I think that that's probably enough to convince somebody with a decent amount of money to say, hey, if you really want your shot to be, if you really want to convince people that it's not because you're with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, if you can work with a, you know, Sam Howell or whatever, right? Um, if you can work with a quarterback and get this offense to produce, you're good. You'll get a head coaching interview. You mentioned the uncapped nature of coaching salaries in the NFL. Do you happen to know what Eric Bieniemy is making with the Chiefs? And I guess what I'm getting at is, would the commanders wooing Bieniemy from the Chiefs require an especially big money offer? Because the commanders' ownership uncertainty has called into question the extent to which Ron Rivera has a proper budget for this offseason. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, the NFL Coaches Association is not as transparent as the NFL Players Association in terms of player salaries. So it's always really difficult to know, and you tend to only know about head coaching salaries. Unsurprisingly, Andy Reid makes some of the most money in the NFL at a head coach. Um, I think it's like Bill Belichick, Sean McVay, then Andy Reid. It's it's not a surprising list. Um, but I would venture to say that Biennemi probably makes something close to that $1 million mark. I think that that would not surprise me. Um, at the coordinator position, we've seen salaries expand a lot very recently. It didn't used to be a position that paid, uh, anything comparable to a head coach. It used to be uh, a, a crazy jump. Like you would get, you'd make five figures as a position coach, six figures as a coordinator, and then seven figures as a head coach, just factors of magnitude in terms of money. Now that's no longer the case. It is possible to make seven figures as a coordinator and position coach salaries are, uh, increasing as well, which, you know, to me, I regard that as a good thing. You want to keep talent in there. Um, and you know, people's livelihoods are improved with, with, uh, with a better salary. And I think that that, uh, is something to keep in mind, but also, um, the enemy, because he wasn't an in-demand person, I wouldn't be surprised if it was really difficult for him to negotiate pay raises in the same way that somebody, you know, like uh, like a Matt Nagy would have been able to, or a Doug Peterson would have been able to, right? Um, and so that I think is probably plays a role. But I'm guessing it's pretty close to that one million a year mark. One more for you. Eric Bieniemy last offseason reportedly re-signed with the Chiefs via just a one-year contract. Does that strike you as odd that the Chiefs re-signed him to just a one-year deal? Uh, I think it is a little odd, but I think that one thing to keep in mind is that a lot of coaching contracts, I wouldn't say that they're guaranteed or anything like that, but coaches have agents as well. And longer contracts contain more guarantees. Uh, and it's not just like the the John Gruden contract with the Raiders, which I don't believe they even have to pay out because it was, you know, for cause. But um, if uh, a longer contract will mean, even if you fire that coach sooner, um, you will end up having to pay them. I imagine there is something similar that if they take um, a a promotion-type job as a head coach, that there is still some money to pay out. And so the one-year extension might have just been an anticipation of him being in the head coaching cycle, right? That's possible. Uh, The thing that makes me think that that's more likely 
than anything else than like, hey, this is a prove it year for you. Um, aside from the fact that the performance on the field has been remarkable for the Chiefs, is that Andy Reid has been very, very public about how much uh, Eric Bieniemy helps and how much he thinks Eric Bieniemy deserves his shot to be a head coach and that he should be a head coach sooner rather than later. And so I think it is more likely that uh, the one-year extension is a product of them anticipating that he's not going to be around for very long and not wanting to overextend themselves. The Chiefs are um, not a cash-poor franchise like the Raiders, but they're not in the top half of the NFL in terms of cash flow coming out. Uh, and so this this is just one of the concerns that you have when when you're that type of organization. Terrific insight on Eric Bieniemy from NFL insider Arif Hassan of Pro Football Network. I mentioned that you used to cover the Vikings for the Athletic. I can't tell you how many Kirk Cousins segments that I uh, did during his time as a Redskins quarterback. Perhaps next time uh, we chat, we could do like an hour on on Kirk. How about that? Speaking of one-year contracts, right? Yeah, right. Exactly. The guy who mastered them <laughs> without question. Yeah. Hey, thanks again, man. Have a great day. Yeah, thanks for having me on. All right. Great stuff from Arif Hassan. Uh, he knows his stuff. If you enjoyed that, uh, please consider rating and reviewing the Al Galdi podcast. You want Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. Uh, it can be just a sentence or two saying that you like the podcast. And thank you for doing the ratings and the reviews. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, if you are a Wizards fan like me, uh, you are perhaps aware that our Wizards do not win games at the San Antonio Spurs. Like, that just does not happen. The Wizards entered their game at the Spurs on Monday night, having not won a regular season game at the Spurs since December 11th, 1999. Think about that. December 11th, 1999. The Wizards had not won a regular season game at the Spurs this millennium until Monday night. 
The streak is over. The Wizards improved to 24 and 26 with a 127 106 win at the Spurs on Monday night. The Wizards won a regular season game at the Spurs for the first time since December 11, 1999, snapping a 22 game regular season losing streak at the Spurs. Uh, Now, the Spurs are not the Spurs that uh, we have come to know. Uh, The Spurs this NBA regular season have the second worst record in the Western Conference at now 14 and 37. Uh, But still, like I said, the Wizards do not win at the Spurs, and yet the Wizards did win at the Spurs on Monday night, and the Wizards now have won a season-best six consecutive games. Who the heck are these Wizards who we're seeing right now? Uh, Here was Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. during his post-game press conference late night on Monday night, and then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with Wizards insider Ava Wallace of the Washington Post. You know, every streak comes to an end, so it was good for us to get on the road with victory. Uh, I like the way we, you know, were able to accomplish that. Um, you know, another night where high assists, hit seven guys in double figures. Um, our defense got progressively better, you know, throughout the game and especially in that fourth quarter. So, um, yeah, it's, you never want to be on the losing end of that streak, but uh, it's good to get that one off our, off our chest. Can you kind of put the, the six wins now? I have the number <laughs> You said seven, so... Yeah. In, in, um, in context, just for how this season has gone for you guys, just it feels like it's been really consistently streaks on either end. You're right. I mean, well, you know, there's certain reasons to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is just, you know, this group has finally found a, a rhythm and balance and we're getting healthy. Um, that allows us to, you know, uh, have our whole complement and compete at a high level. Um, I mean, I think this, this road trip has been not only good for us you know, in the win column, but good for our psyche, because we struggled early on. You know, early in the season on the road, and to kind of you know rattle a few off, I think that's you know giving us more confidence. We're able to play, maybe with a little chip on our shoulder. Yeah, this was a no doubt win for the Wizards on Monday night. They led for the entire second half. Uh, we're without two key players. Daniel Gafford did not play due to a non-COVID illness, and Anthony Gill remained out due to being in the NBA's health and safety protocols. But back. For the Wizards was Chris Stapps Porzingis. Uh, he returned from a three-game absence caused by a sprained left ankle that he suffered in the Wizards 138-118 win over the Orlando Magic at Capital One Arena on January 21st. The Wizards on January 23rd announced that Porzingis was week to week. Uh, well, he only ended up missing a week. He was back a lot sooner than I think most people anticipated, and Porzingis on Monday night was really good. He played for 30 minutes, one second as a starter. He went one of three on threes, a six of 10 on twos, and two of two on free throws. He finished with 17 points, nine rebounds, seven assists versus two turnovers, five blocks, and three steals. What a job by Kristaps Porzingis. Uh, the Wizards' offense on Monday night was great. Uh, they scored 127 points, went 16 of 30 on threes, 32 of 56 on twos, and 15 of 17 on free throws. Also, the Wizards finished with 32 assists versus 14 turnovers. The Wizards held the Spurs to just 7 of 29 on threes. Uh, Bradley Beal, 29 minutes, 50 seconds as a starter. He went 3 of 6 on threes, 5 of 8 on twos, and 2 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 
21 points, 7 assists versus 2 turnovers, 7 rebounds and 2 blocks. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, 31 minutes, 42 seconds as a starter. He did commit 5 turnovers. He does commit turnovers, uh, but he went 1 of 3 on 3s, 4 of 8 on 2s, and 5 of 6 on free throws. He also finished with 16 points, 6 rebounds, and 3 assists. And Denny Avdia, the rise of Denny continued. Uh, He has been terrific since the Wizards traded Rui Hachimura to the Los Angeles Lakers now two Mondays ago. Denny, since that trade, has been playing more and has been playing well. Denny on Monday night, 33 minutes, 18 seconds off the bench. He went 2 of 2 on threes, 8 of 10 on twos, and 3 of 4 on free throws. He finished with 25 points, 9 rebounds, 1 assist versus 2 turnovers, and a game best plus minus rating of plus 25. Here was Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference late night on Monday night on what's standing out to him about Denny Avdia lately. Just his level of aggression. And I think that it's paid dividends because he's, he's starting to, to benefit, you know, by playing downhill, getting to the rim. He's finishing, you know, at a much better clip, um, getting to the free throw line. So it's, it's allowing him to get to, you know, some easy points at times. But, you know, he's, he's figuring it out. You know, I think early in the year, he, his finishing wasn't great. We've, I've seen a huge uptick in that area. And that's, I think that's really helped him. All right. And so the Wizards now are 24 and 26 and are ninth in the Eastern Conference. What any of this means in the bigger picture, who the heck knows? I mean, I still worry about this Wizards winning streak uh, being fool's gold, especially as we approach the NBA trade deadline on February 9th at 3 p.m. Eastern. But the Wizards are playing well. I mean, I give them full credit. Uh, Next up for the Wiz, the surging Wiz uh, at the Detroit Pistons, Wednesday night at 7. Well, the latest Associated Press College basketball poll came out on Monday. Virginia up one spot to number 6. Yes, UVA, the number 6 team in the nation. Uh, the Cavaliers then played a game on Monday night, and they won again. Uh, won their seventh consecutive game. Number six, Virginia, improved to 17-3 and overall and 9-2 and in the ACC with a 67-62 win at Syracuse on Monday night. Uh, among those in attendance, by the way, uh, Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, Jalen Hurts and edge defender Brandon Graham. Now, the Cavs on Monday night were not at their best. Uh, They did hold Syracuse to just 3 of 15 on threes uh, and generated 14 Syracuse turnovers. But the Cavs also allowed Syracuse to go 21 of 33 on twos and to score 36 points in the paint. And the Cavs defense in the first half was especially non-Cavs-like. The Cavs in the first half allowed the Cues to go 14 of 19 on twos. Uh, but the Cavs did win. Uh, this was head coach Tony Bennett during his postgame press conference on Monday night. I, I want to say I'm not overly pleased. I, I think the first half, none of us were pleased with our defensive um, focus, tenacity, and the way we have to play. When you give 26 points in the paint, that's not going to get it done. So I thought they they rallied and were better in the second half. Um, and then, you know, I, yeah, you had a guys had to step up, make a big shot, a hustle play here and there, and, and that's what it takes. Um, this is just how it is. You know, you're getting everybody's best shot. It's the second time through. Um, Syracuse is obviously Coach Beheim does such a great job with them, and these guys came off of a tough loss at at Tech, and so they were ready. And you know Edwards is one of the more improved players in our league, and so we just um, we found a way. Um, but 
there's more there, and I'll keep challenging our, challenging our guys to give more. Yeah, the Cavs' offense on Monday night was pretty good. They went 9-21 of on threes, 14-29 of on twos, and totaled 19 assists on 23 made field goals. To me, the biggest thing from this game for UVA was Jaden Gardner being good for a second consecutive game. Gardner had been slumping. He now has been good in each of the Wahoos' last two games. Gardner on Monday night, 28 minutes, 28 seconds as a starter. He went 6 of 11 from the field, all twos, 5 of 7 on free throws. He finished with 17 points, 8 rebounds, including 5 offensive boards and 2 steals. He did have no assists versus 3 turnovers, but he also had a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 11 and factored into that is something like a big charge that Gardner took late in the game. A lot of good stuff from Jaden Gardner on Monday night. Uh, good stuff from 6'8", Ohio graduate student transfer Ben Vanderplas, who was maybe the single best name uh, on the Who's. Uh, Vanderplas started for a fifth consecutive game over Caden Shedrick. And uh, Vanderplas in 32 minutes, six seconds as a starter, one of two on threes, two of five on twos. He finished with seven points, seven rebounds, including two offensive boards. And how about this? Six assists versus no turnovers. And speaking of assists, uh, point guard Kihei Clark, he on Monday night, 35 minutes, 43 seconds as a starter, two of four on threes, one of three on twos, four of four on free throws. He finished with 12 points and 10 assists. He did commit five turnovers, but Kihei made some history. Uh, he passed Duke's Kyle Singler for number one on the ACC's career minutes played list. Uh, this season is Kihei Clark's fifth collegiate season. Uh, he's a graduate student. He has been playing uh, for the Hoos uh, for a while. Uh, next up for Virginia at Virginia Tech this Saturday at noon. Some Nationals for you before we call it a show. Pitcher Joe Ross now is officially gone from the Nats. The San Francisco Giants on Tuesday afternoon announced that they had signed Ross to a minor league contract with an invitation to Major League Spring Training. Joe Ross this past June underwent Tommy John surgery for a second time. Uh, the first time was in July 2017. The 2022 season was Ross's age 29 season and his final season of team control. Joe Ross for the Nats was good in 2015 and 2016, but he has struggled with inconsistency and injury ever since. Uh, for years, and I mean <laughs> for years, the Nats had Joe Ross, Eric Fetty, and Austin Voth engaged in a three-way battle, a three-way dance uh, for a spot or spots in the rotation, and now all three guys are gone. Uh, the Nats this past Friday afternoon announced the signing of reliever Alex Colomay to a minor league contract with an invitation to Major League Spring Training. Uh, I did want to make mention of that. Colomay is entering his age 34 season. He was a good reliever for years, 2016 through 2020. Some very good numbers for the Tampa Bay Rays, Seattle Mariners, and Chicago White Sox. But Colomay has struggled the last two seasons, 2021 with the Minnesota Twins, 2022 with the Colorado Rockies. But nothing wrong with giving a minor league contract to a reliever. Uh, relievers are fickle, okay? <laughs> they are year-to-year -year entities. You never know when one might work out. And in the position that the Nats are in, uh, that would be rebuilding. Uh, you take flyers on guys like Alex Colomay and hope that they evolve into trade chips who you then can parlay into prospects.
And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 498, will feature much more on the Commanders. Also, we'll talk Capitals and Maryland and Virginia Tech basketball. The Caps are at the Columbus Blue Jackets Tuesday night at 7. The Terrapins are home to number 21, Indiana, Tuesday night at 9. And the Hokies are at number 23, Miami, Tuesday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. The damn Washington Wizards! It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com